Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and today's guest is going to help us round out a little two-part mini-series on college golf recruiting. He is the head men's coach at Stanford University, Coach Conrad Ray. Um, I ran into Coach Ray or crossed paths with him a couple years ago when he was trying to recruit some players that I had a relationship with. We've kept in touch uh, really appreciate him spending some time with us today. He's got a pretty impressive resume, so I want to run through it. I know I'm not capturing everything, but uh, just to paint a little picture of of Coach Ray here. So he was a three-year letter winner at Stanford University. He was a member of the 1994 NCAA championship team at Stanford. Some of his teammates included Tiger Woods, Noda Begay, Casey Martin. He captained the team in 1997. He was an all-Pac-10 selection for both golf and academics. After graduating from Stanford, Coach Ray went on to play professionally for seven years. He recorded 12 top 10 finishes and qualified for the 2005 U.S. Open at Pinehurst. Uh, He's going into his 16th season as the head men's coach at Stanford University. In his time there, he has made 13 NCAA championship appearances. He's won two national championships, uh, including 2007 and this past year. They're the reigning national champions from the 2018-2019 season. Uh, Coach Ray and his tenure has helped produce 27 All-Americans, four Pac-12 Players of the Year, three Pac-12 Scholastic Athletes of the Year, three Pac-12 Freshmen of the Year, and 21 All-Pac-12 first-team selections. Uh, He hosts a weekly show called Golf U on Sirius XM's PGA Tour Radio, and in 2011, Coach Ray was inducted into the National Collegiate Golf Association Hall of Fame. So a lot of information there. Obviously a very impressive resume. Uh, Really excited for our chat and the value that he's going to bring to you guys. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Coach Ray. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, Super excited. Episode eight of Junior Golf Keys. Uh, I have the head men's golf coach from Stanford University, Coach Conrad Ray. Coach, how's it going? Matt, great to join you today. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you uh, jumping on. I know you're mid-season. You guys have a couple tournaments in the fall, uh, but appreciate you making some time for us. You bet. Well, anytime we can uh, spread some knowledge in the junior golf world, uh, I'm all about it for sure. Thank you. Um, can you just kind of jump in and, and share a little bit about your background? I think you've got a, a unique background uh, in terms of you know, being a walk-on and then um, at, at Stanford uh, and then you know, kind of the position that you're in now. Can you kind of talk through that and, and give people a, yeah. an idea of where you were and where you've come from and where you are now? Yeah, I, I feel like it's a pretty long journey. You know, um, after being in my 16th season now as the as the coach here at Stanford, it's been a huge honor to be on campus and back in my alma mater, trying to trying to do good things with the golf team, both you know academically and and athletically, and just you know finding great guys from around the world to join us. But um, yeah, my path uh, it was a little unorthodox. I guess it still is. Um, 
I grew up in a small town in southern Minnesota, uh, really never had aspirations as a young junior golfer to go play at the Division One level until late in my high school career. Um, I always tri- treated golf as just something I love to do in the summers with my buddies in between hockey and football practice and workouts, so I was a three-sport okay. guy, um, three-sport athlete, uh, even played in the orchestra, which to this day my mom thinks is what got me to Stanford ultimately, not my golf, but um, <laughs> so I, uh, I, uh, I, it was a small enough town where I could do really a lot of things and, and spread myself out and, and still get good grades, and, and so I was lucky in that regard, um, but when I honed in on golf and, and realized that um, playing nose guard at Notre Dame was kind of a short-lived dream, uh, that I, I, I sent out some letters and luckily got in touch with the coach here, Wally Goodwin at the time, uh, at Stanford, who is a Hall of Fame guy and a, and a legendary guy. Um, and for me, he gave me an opportunity that was probably a little unwarranted, but but I was willing to work for it. I, I walked on the team my freshman year. I was the only uh, uh, freshman on the team that year in, in 19, um, fall of 1993. And uh, we ended up winning the, the national championship that spring in 1994. Um, Nota Begay, Casey Martin, Brad Lanning, Steve Burdick, um, a, a bunch of guys that have, have made their mark in, in not only college golf but beyond uh, were on that team. And then Tiger came in. Uh, so it was great to see him for a couple years, um, you know, at Stanford and him pursuing his, you know, he was on this. My, my curve was pretty level and, you know, it was incre- getting better every year. It was, I guess it was pointing upward, but right. his was like a vertical line, you know, almost. So it was like it was. <laughs> It was like, gosh, you know, uh, just the just the jet wash and that for me was good stuff. And so, um, but yeah, I, I I got better when I was at Stanford. I got a great degree in public policy and economics here at Stanford, and and uh, decided after all of that to uh, pursue a professional golf career. Spent about seven and a half years trying to do that, and uh, made some good money and paid my bills. But uh, you know, as we all know, pro golf is hard, and um, sure. I was I was getting better, but. Um, it you know to get into a spot where uh, golf is a, a long-lasting, lifelong profession, um, you got to be really good. And so for me, I got this random opportunity in 2004 to come out and, and throw my name in the hat for uh, the interview process at the Stanford as a as the head coach at Stanford. Um, I had no previous coaching experience other than I worked with some great coaches and I kind of knew. I knew what hard work was all about to get what you wanted, and um, I knew that uh, there was some pretty high expectations for Stanford golf at the time, and so I, uh, I was lucky enough to get the job. I remember uh, uh, there was a gentleman, our AD at the time, Ted Leland, who was, uh, you know, was really at the heart of kind of putting Stanford athletics, I would say, 20 years ago on the, ma- on the big map of one of the top athletics programs in the country. And Ted called me into his office and said, hey, I'm not a huge golf guy. I'm a football guy, but I think you can do a good job for us. You understand the university. He said, I need you to come to me with answers, not questions. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to pay very much in year one, but if you do okay, you know, we'll talk about it. You know? So yeah. um, a- after that, the rest is history. You know, it was kind of a, a different style and management from you know, current athletic directors, I think. And nowadays, it's, it's, you know, college athletics has grown into such a massive thing that it's really about risk management versus about taking chances, I think, sometimes. But sure. um, all, all is good. And uh, looking back on that, that was, a, that was a wild ride. And it's been a good 15, 16 years here at Stanford. And, and hopefully we can, we can keep the thing going. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know we had some texts back and forth after you guys won the national championship, and I haven't really got a chance to say anything to you, but congratulations on that, um, you know, reigning national yeah, champions right now. So that's super thank exciting. You. We'll enjoy that as long as we can. Uh, you know, it's so hard to do, and that's really just – that statement is like you just look around after, after having, uh, you know, all the right stuff happen. And you admire how many great teams and great coaches and great programs there are out there. And, and college golf has never been in a stronger space, if you ask me. Um, but to, to be able to hoist that trophy um, and do it with a bunch of guys that, you know, really care about and guys that really took on this challenge of, of being great, both athletically and academically at the same time, um, you know, something that I'll cherish for a lifetime. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's number three for you, right? I mean, two as a coach, one as a player. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, the one as a player, I was like the designated luggage carrier, so I'll, <laughs> but I'll claim it. Um, okay. You know, <laughs> they, uh, those guys, uh, my freshman year won that thing, and it was really cool to be part of and talk about getting thrown in the deep end and seeing what um, high-level golf is yeah. from a, from an experience in, you know, rural Minnesota, you know, playing high school golf is a little different. But, uh, yeah. you know, for me to, to be part of that is something special, and I still cherish those friendships today and, um, and, and that experience. And then, and then in 07, we were able to pull it off uh, at, you know, at the Golden Horseshoe in Virginia with uh, – with some guys that uh, just needed a, you know, some belief in themselves. And we had a couple of good recruits that had come in and help us. Joseph Bramlett was a big part of that. Who's now on the PGA tour this year as a star freshman back in the day. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it was cool to, it's cool to reflect back on that 07 team as well, but this one was pretty sweet. No doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. And then two of the guys went on to, uh, to play in the Walker cup. I know you made a trip over for it. Uh, you text me when you got back, but, um, what was that like, that experience for them, you know, as players uh, and then just as you as a coach? Well, I tell you what, I, I think if there's anyone out there listening to this, maybe my mom, but uh, no, I, I'm not, nothing against your podcast, Mike, but, uh, you know, it's uh, no, it's uh, I, I would say that the Walker Cup uh, is the purest form of amateur golf. It's really cool. And it's a bucket list viewing experience for anyone that's a, you know, maybe your dad out there driving down the road listening and you're like, how can I get my kid plugged into this? Um, that was one of the coolest golf experiences I've had being over with our guys at uh, Royal Liverpool and, 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 and seeing our guys go around that course and, and play against respectful, but uh, adversary crowds and um, on a tough golf course at, at, uh, at Hoy Lake and, um, you know, just a really cool dynamic and a huge honor to have two players uh, from Stanford make the squad. It's not a big group of guys and it's a, it's quite a process to make that team. Um, but to play for your country, to play to represent Stanford, uh, and, and to do it in the format that they do against, um, against a very qual every year, uh, it's a huge deal to the GB&I team, as is the U.S., and, you know, it's just a big deal, you know, for amateur golf, and uh, uh, it was cool. It was really a neat experience, and I was super proud of our guys. They, they played really well, and uh, the U.S. pulled out the, out the cup after, you know, I think it's the first time since 2007 that the U.S. squad has won on foreign soil. So yeah, um, definitely a bucket list moment for me, though, as a coach. I'm glad I made the trip. Good. Good deal. That's awesome. Um, well, it's no secret that you've had a lot of success at Stanford in the 15, now going into your 16th season, you know, 13 NCAA championship experience or appearances. Um, in 2011, you were inducted into the National Collegiate Golf Association Hall of Fame. Um, 
Can you take a step back to making the decision? Because I really want to start, you know, bringing some value to the audience of, you know, the families and the players, junior golfers that are listening. What was it like to be a walk-on and kind of what drove you to make that decision? Um, And then what drove you just internally being a walk-on knowing that, um, you know, I guess maybe you were still fighting for that spot, you know, to secure, you know, your worth there. Well, for me, I was, you know, for me, I think a lot of the experience was just based on and how I reacted to things was just based on not taking myself too seriously. You know, that's something that I look back and I appreciate my parents, I think, ingrained in my sister and I. And maybe it's just, you know, it's it's a small town thing. But I for me, I was really serious about competing and getting better. Um, and doing the things I needed to do to do that. But I, I, you know, if I, if I didn't make the lineup my freshman year, I wasn't losing my mind. You know, I felt like I was at a great school. Um, I was, you know, I was in a, it was in a place and environment where I could get better and I was willing to put the work in. And so as a walk on, you know, I just, I really looked up to those guys that were on the team uh, that, that freshman year and, and beyond even, playing so well, you know, and trying to learn every lesson I could from my teammates around me. Um, That's something I think that I try and encourage our guys to do. I say, hey, we're going to try and give you some really good material as coaches. We're going to provide you with a great platform, some structure, you know, all all the elements that lead hopefully to you finding your best recipe for success. But I think one of the biggest places our guys can find um, different ways to do it or different viewpoints or different technique is from their own teammates. And I think that's something that's maybe gotten lost a little bit over time in the junior golf circles is that everyone kind of runs in their own silo and, you know, just like hanging out doing a short game, you know, session with one of your buddies, you know, or yeah. one ball closest to the hole from the worst lies you can find stuff like that. You know, you watch, you watch good players if you're observant and you don't take yourself too seriously. I think you can, you can really help yourself in terms of your own development. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something I'm sure you would agree that, you know, even now as we continue to grow and evolve and, you know, try to solidify who we are just as people and players, um, you know, there's so many different ways to do, to do things and go about it. So, you know, surrounding yourself in that environment, you know, sounds like what you're trying to do with your team in terms of just giving them some different viewpoints where they can, you know, take little nuggets from here and there and and kind of build their own pathway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think, I think you gotta, I think an easy way to really underline that point is to look look fast forward, like look at the guys that are the, the, you know, we just heard from Brooks Kepka, for example, at the Nike collegiate last weekend when we were in Portland and he sat and talked with the guys a little Q and a session and, and this guy is as hungry and thirsty for knowledge and improvement today as world number one as anyone. And so you, you have to sit back and say to yourself, hey, if this guy's going after it and is a huge student of the game and asking people for their opinions and willing to do some things to change and evolve, then as a junior golfer at age 14, 15, 16, like, why wouldn't I be, you know? And so sure. that's the and, – and, and parents too. You know, I think parents play a big role in that. Sometimes um, my sense is that with as big as some of the junior tours have gotten and as many resources are being spent on junior golf that you get kind of in this mode of um, protecting versus evolving, you know, and those are, those are two different spaces for sure. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Well, I think, I think junior golf rankings are a bunch of malarkey, I guess. (laughs) That's the, the, you know, if you really want my straight shot, like, yeah, 
Like if you're 15, 14, 15 years old and your parents are talking to you about your junior golf ranking or you're thinking about it, that's pretty, you know, it's, it's cool to look at, but it should be, you should spend about 10 seconds on it because sure. if you're really about getting good, like you don't really care what you're ranked. You just want to play in the tournaments that are going to push you or give you new experiences. You're going to take on challenges to improve. You know, you're going to do things in your game that, that, you know, might feel uncomfortable, you know? Right. Um, you know, the, I think one of the skills, not in, especially in college golf and even as a pro is like being comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of moves that I see parents and and young kids taking is like, Oh, I'm just going to be comfortable. You know, I can, I know I can play well in this, on this little tour. or I know that when I go take a lesson from this guy, he's not going to tell me anything that really, you know, really upsets the apple cart, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think too, I think, I think sadly, I think parents sometimes make decisions on scheduling and tournaments and, and, and coaching and stuff like that, that they're really trying to manipulate where their ranking is because the, they think that that's going to mean that they're going to end up at a better college, you know, or a better school or maybe a better scholarship offer. And I get it. Like college, college costs money and scholarship is a big deal. But what they're missing is that at the end of the day, the better the player is and the, the more skilled the player is, the more opportunities they're going to have, not necessarily – um, what the ranking is. Yeah, it's really interesting. So last week I had uh, Josh Brewer, head coach of the Georgia women's team on and um, almost verbatim a response. I mean, just in terms of rankings and, you know, we talked a lot about just, you know, and, and one of the comments that he made was, you know, t- people peak at different times. Right. And, you know, if you're, if you're out there and you're playing well, um, you know, the right coach is going to find you at the right time. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I think you can control that environment sometimes because I think that if you take some chances, you know, I always tell, like, I get the question a lot about how do I set my schedule if I'm a junior golfer? To me, to me, there should be like three experience, you know, a couple different experiences. There should be one where you show up on the putting green, you look around and the, and the young person thinks to themselves, Hey, I got to really play horrible today, not to win. You know? Right. And then there's got to, because winning is a skill, right? And there's environments that you can find to do that. Um, I think the next one should be like, hey, I'm going to show up, and you know, maybe if I have a good day, I'll win. You know. And then the third situation is you show up, and there's a bunch of KG amateurs looking at this young kid on the putting green, licking their chops. You know, and <laughs> right. and the kid, the kid doesn't know anyone there. You know. And, and those are, to me, you can find those three scenarios in different places, both geographically um, and kind of timing of year and that type of thing. And I, I would say that, uh, you know, if you're definitely, if you're striving to play Division One golf, um, there should be some of your schedule uh, that touches on competition where you actually see other collegiate players prior to getting there, you know, and there's plenty of those too, you know? So right. like, that's the thing I think that that gets lost is that there's all these different layers to this thing and, and uh, where you play and who you play against is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's pivot a little bit and talk about your guys recruiting specifically. Um, you know, you talk about, there's, you know, a lot of different tours out there. There's a lot of different layers and levels of competition. Where are you guys spending your time in terms of, you know, looking forward and, and trying to recruit the right people for Stanford. Yeah. Well, our, our conversation doesn't really get off the ground until we vet someone academically. So that's probably the biggest answer is that, you know, we don't, 
we don't really engage with the prospect um, until we know that they're going down the right track with school. So it doesn't usually work the opposite where we'll find a really good golfer and then hope he's a good student. So that's the, that's the thing I'd underline. And, and I think I'm not alone in that. I think most coaches, the first thing they look at is GPA and, and academics. Um, uh, because even if, even if the requirements aren't as stringent as a place like Stanford, uh, a coach wants to know that the, the prospect that they're bringing in um, you know, is a guy that they're not going to have to worry about or that might qualify for academic, um, you know, support as an, or aid, if you will. So yeah. academics are number one for us. Um, you know, from there, it's, it's just a combination. It's we like kids that are proactive, right? Because to me, if I'm doing my best recruiting, I'm finding guys that are interested in Stanford and have taken the ball to kind of research and understand what our place is all about. Um, but I'm not trying to sell them, you know, on Stanford for, I don't want them to feel like I have to convince them to come here, you know? So right. it, it's kind of a, in a weird sort of way, it's kind of a dating relationship. <laughs> you know, <it's> like <laughs> yeah. We're feeling them out and uh, they're feeling us out, right? They're, they're trying to figure out if Stanford's a match for what they want. And um, sure. so, so a lot of that is just based on just grassroots stuff, you know, emails, texts, you know, obviously there's rules on top of all that that we have to adhere to with the NC2A. It maybe is word of mouth. It's maybe relationships in the in the business. You know, I think that you know you do it long enough, you get to know a lot of coaches and teachers and people you trust that understand what what you're up to and might make a recommendation based on how they think a profile might match. So, right. you know, it's it's all of the above. You know, I don't think that there's one place or one one tool or one junior tour or anything like that that coaches are looking at. I think it's all of the above. Yeah. Well, I, I've been fortunate in, in being able to have a couple conversations with you just about some prospective players in the past. And, um, you know, one thing that I really respect about you is just the approach that you take in, and you just said it, um, and just making sure that you're, it's, it's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship. I mean, you, you didn't use those words, but I think that's what you were kind of getting at is making sure it's the right fit. Um, for yep. both for both the player and for Stanford and you as a coach. So why is that yep. why is that so important to you? Well, I think the filter academically at Stanford is so tight that you know people think, oh, maybe Stanford golf can can kind of go pick and choose. We actually it's not like that at all. You know the the pool of players that ultimately can matriculate at least to our school outside of my uh, touch and reach and control is pretty small, right? So we have to be good at developing players. You know, we're not always going to get – might have a couple years where top prospects match up with that, but, you know, we're going to have to be good at figuring out how to take a player from point A to point B and have that journey be improvement over the course of four years. I I think, I, you know, that's something that I really am a stickler on and I hold myself accountable for is that it, I take it personal if a kid's not getting better while they're here, you know, and mm-hmm. – there's a lot of reasons in that improvement and, and you need to, so you can make your, <laughs> if, if, if I take it seriously and I want to find a guy that wants that too, you know, as crazy as that sounds like, sure. The, the, that's the dangerous, the dangerous proposition. And a lot of the recruiting we do is, you know, either you find a kid that, you know, you don't want these situations to happen, but you find a kid that's played their best tournament already, which actually quite a few junior golfers have, if they don't continue to develop, Um, The other option is that you, you know, you find a family or a kid that is using their golf to get a certain place or get to a destination versus the college stop for four years being part of that, that pathway. 
um, and, and, you know, that, con that continued development. So those are the two things that really, at the end of the day, I'm the most adverse to is just trying to find, I don't want to find guys that aren't coachable and think, you know, aren't going to develop and, and guys that, you know, are just using their, the fact that they're pretty good at golf to get, get here. And then once they do, it becomes about their 10th priority. I don't want a guy like that, you know? So, right. um, you know, it's, it is finding that fit. It's finding those people that are really looking for what you're serving and, and going from there. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what advice can you give to, to parents out there and players that are looking for the right fit? I mean, what, what types of things do you think should be important for them to be paying attention to? Yeah. I mean, it's a little trite nowadays because I think a lot of us are saying the same thing, but I definitely always say to a student athlete and their families that they should look for a school that they see themselves at if golf isn't in the picture at all. And they kind of, they get surprised by that, but that's an extreme situation, obviously, because obviously, you know, a lot of these kids have played golf and that's what they really want to do long-term and they've worked so much on it and the family spent a lot of resources on it, but right. there's so much that can happen. You know, you might show up, you know, wake up, freshman year and say gosh this isn't as much fun as I want to do and I actually like this down on campus even better I'm going to do that you know and sure or you get or god forbid you get injured or you know you get in a situation where um a, a new coach comes in and and for whatever reason he doesn't stick you in the lineup <clears throat> you know or thinks you're as good as you as the other coach did so you know there's all these things that I think tie you to a university um you know ultimately with the goal of getting a degree and and having having your academics be a good insurance policy if golf doesn't work out, but also part of the equation if you're a good professional golfer, you know, being able to manage uh, situations and, and hire the right people hopefully someday and be part of build a team. You know, all those things are things that you can glean while, while being at a great school for four years. So, you know, I, I think all that being said, I think it's just like, it, it's just really finding, finding that fit that we said earlier and, and, and knowing, knowing, you know, what you need in that experience. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, golf, I've said this a couple of times, golf is a game of life and vice versa, really. Um, just because, you know, there's so many similarities I think that you can take from the game and implement into life. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you would agree with that too. And specifically at Stanford, you know, you've got a super high level academics with a high level athletics. Um, I know you understand that very well. I mean, you yourself were all pac 10, both on the course and in the classroom. So can you just talk about what it's like to be in that environment where, you know, it's not just golf that's driving the force or not just, you know, the academics and golf is just kind of a side piece, but to be able to manage your time and operate at a high level, both in the classroom and on the golf course, you know, what is that like? Yeah, well, I, I think it is, that's a, that's a, that is a, a skill that needs to be developed, right? I think that most people by human nature waste time. You know, I waste time, you know, it's like, sure. you know, I procrastinate, you know, everyone does. Right. But it's more of just that. I, I think a lot can be found in just the routines that you make and the habits that you get into. And it takes a lot to change habits, but uh, you know, I think a lot of the guys that end up here at our place have already been in good habits because they wouldn't have been able uh, to, you know, to, to get where they are without having those habits. Frankly, I, I'm, I'm, I think like being smart is a little overrated. I see the kids that end up here not necessarily are like much smarter because they can get in. It's just that they're, they're disciplined, you know, and they, they can lay out their day in a way that they enjoy. 
but also allows them, you know, uh, the ability to do a lot of things and balance a lot of things. And um, so, you know, I, I think there's also something to be said for like being present, right? Like uh, you've heard it said, like, be where your shoes are, you know? Sure. I think it, it doesn't, if you have a lot of things going on, that's great. But if your mind's a lot of different places at, at once, then you're not going to be good anyways, right? Right, so, right. Like you gotta, you gotta be able to hone in on focus on what you're doing. So we, when our guys are here for two hours of practice, I just ask that they be here with me. You know, they're, they're not, they're not thinking about that, that project that they have to turn in or that homework assignment. They're thinking about golf for two hours, you know? And so, um, that, that, that takes some skill. Um, I think that, you know, if there's any junior golfers out there, uh, listening, there's not a lot of guys that are first team all Americans playing Fortnite, you know, I mean, frankly, <laughs> True. Yep. uh, you know, or on their phones doing Instagram, like, like some of that's cool, you know, when yep. at the t- right times. But I think, um, taking ownership of that as a player, uh, and as a young player and understanding that is like the first step to success to me. So, yeah. um, but I, th- I think that balancing act is key. Yeah, I agree. I think that's great advice. I mean, I think we can all kind of, you know, you said yourself, you know, we waste time in certain areas. I do the same thing. I'm actually putting myself through um, a challenge right now, something called 75 hard, which is a combination of, you know, a strict diet. You know, I'm not trying to gain or lose any weight, but just being disciplined in diet uh, and working out and routine, you know, reading as a part of it. Um, you know, some different things that one of the influencers that I follow um, put out there and, and created. And, you know, for me, I just found myself, um, just like you said, wasting some time in certain areas, you know, some of the ways I was spending my time wasn't really mapping to the goals that I've kind of laid out for myself. So can you talk a little bit about how you help coach your players on, I guess, really not, not from a technical standpoint, but just how do they develop grit, you know, and, and how can junior players, you know, put themselves in situations and create an environment to develop that grit? Yeah. Well, you hit on a huge part, I think, of, of uh, like process performance. I steal that term from an old friend, Neil Smith, who's in that business. But yeah, I mean, we focus on the process. It's the do. It's not like the what, right? Like, like I, 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 people ask me, oh, do you have your guys set a bunch of goals? Like, frankly, I'm kind of, I think everyone naturally has goals. Maybe it's easy. To, it's good to talk about clarifying them, but I'm more interested in like what what my guys are doing daily basis, you know, and, and, and how it ties back into their goals maybe, but it's like the doing, not the, not the, not the saying, you know? And, right. uh, and, and uh, so we, we work hard with our guys to hold them accountable to that stuff. Um, you know, knowing we're assuming that they all want to be great. Right. Like I, I say that in my opening meeting freshman years, like, okay, you're here. We assume unless you tell us otherwise that you want to be as excellent as you can be and you want to maximize your experience. So based on that, what we're going to do for you is be a sounding board, a, you know, be a a grounding point, um, be a place of structure where you can really hold yourself and we can hold you accountable to that daily, even down to the hourly operation of how you put together your days, you know, and, and, you know, when we, you know, we don't, we talk about winning, but that lasts about five seconds. You know, we can right. practice, we have a schedule, we're going to get it done. We're going to focus on the here and now. And then, Hey, if all that adds up to success at the end, then we're going to celebrate, you know, but yeah. to me, it's, it's the, it's that just that organization structure and routine that really leads to, I, I heard it described one time. I think it's a great way to say it, but basically, you know, if like you have a thousand page book to read, 
you know, you're, you don't, you, you freak out if you look at the whole book and you say, oh my God, there's a thousand pages there. But if you read one page a night or a couple, you know, say five pages a night, that's sure. pretty reasonable. And, and you take those small bites and all of a sudden you've read this great work and a thousand pages are under your belt. You know, you gotta, you gotta boil it down. And, uh, and that's how we try and approach it with our guys for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's a great approach. That's uh, something that I'm working on myself right now. It's 10 pages a day that I'm reading uh, in a book, but you know, it's just developing those habits. Right. And I, I think what you're getting at is, you know, trust the process, you know, the outcomes are going to be what they were, but if you've put the work in and on the front end, um, you should be pretty pleased with the results that you yield from it. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's easy to fall into the, the, the shiny silver trophies and the plaques and your name on social media or, or on a board somewhere. But right. you know, this, where, where the magic happens is when no one else is looking and you're kind of just working through your routines, I think. Yeah. Can you walk us through what, what a typical week looks like as a men's golfer at Stanford? Yeah, you bet. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, most of our guys are carrying somewhere around 15 units, which is kind of the equivalent of 15 credit hours. It's supposed to match up with, you know, kind of hours of class per week. So some classes are five units, some classes are three. Um, you know, 15 units usually equates to three to four classes a quarter. We're in a nine-week cycle academically um, in that quarter system. And so our guys uh, typically are in class, uh, you know, each day, I'd say three to four hours, depending on how their weeks break out. Um, we ask that if they if they can make their best attempt to, have, have golf in the afternoons. We run a pretty structured program. So we're probably playing two to three days a week and practicing here at our, at our varsity complex two to three days a week. Um, we definitely maximize the kind of the allotment of 20 hours that the NC2A mandates for us. Uh, we're, our fitness stuff is very important to us. So we're spending probably a minimum of two hour Tuesday and Thursday mornings uh, for an hour working out um, pretty intensely with our sports performance guy, Mike Chapman, who's been great. Um, we'll slide in a, a Friday morning workout um, once we kind of we taper a little bit here in the fall after some of our busy travel schedules. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a full-time deal. I mean, I, I think, you know, that's all the stuff that I put together. So I always kind of challenge our guys, like, look, this is your base. And then depending on what your recipe is, most of the guys that are our top performers are spending at least another 10 to 20 of their own time um, on their games and on their bodies and, and their approach. It doesn't necessarily mean beating balls. It might be, you know, studying their statistics. It might be working out. It might be getting, you know, getting therapy to make sure their bodies recover the right way, um, you know, stuff like that. But it's, it's a full-time job. And then you layer in, you know, uh, uh, taking an, an academic load that's real, uh, it ends up, you know, I, I always, I always think of the story of my great coach that I had at Stanford, his famous line, he's a pretty simple guy. He, he, he actually wasn't, but he came across as very, you know, straightforward and simple. He said, Hey guys, here's the deal. There's three things at Stanford. There's girls, there's golf and there's school. And he said, he paused, you know, and everyone's like, well, what's he, where's he going with this? And he <laughs> said, I, I know for, I know for a fact you can only be an all American in two of them, you know? And, uh, so <laughs> I was like, you know, that's a pretty good line, right? Like, yeah. you know, you, you might, you might, you know, your social stuff might be a little lighter than most kids that are down on campus. Um, but again, it's all about balance and, and uh, you know, our guys are definitely carrying full loads throughout the week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think it really comes down to planning, right. You know, 
mapping out a plan and, and focusing on, you know, making sure that you're spending your time in the right areas, uh, you know, that map, it's kind of what we've been talking about that map to your goals. Um, can you talk about, I know you're a believer in, you know, just holistic performance training, um, you know, technical training is important, but in terms of, you know, training as a whole for, to be successful on the course, what is, what does that look like for some of your guys? I know it differs, but what are your beliefs there when it comes to just overall holistically training? Yeah, no, I, I think, um, gosh, the more I go at it, the more I'm convinced that the mechanics and like the swing stuff is like just one small piece, actually. I mean, granted, there's a certain level that you need to get to, to kind of get around the course and shoot a good score. Right. But I think we, as, uh, as a golf community and, and junior golfers and coaches and teachers spend way too much time on the swing. Yeah. You know, one example is I, I, I really just with our work, we use TrackMan a lot here. I, I like TrackMan because it's not a methodology. It's a, Hey, here's what hap- Here's what's happening at impact. And then you turn an athlete onto that and you say, Hey, this is the condition I want you to present at impact. I can get there. An athlete figures out how to get there. And right. It's not me telling him how to get there um, or a position-related type of conversation. So track band's really good, but where I was going with that is, you know, I'm convinced just like with driver-specific, for example, and this is kind of getting a little deeper into it, but, you know, if you swing it over 110 miles an hour with a driver, I'm convinced that well over half of the errant shots that come from that that situation are just just uncentered hits, right? So a toe or a heel. And, you know, here we are, we're like, we're grinding on how our motion looks and how it's working. And, you know, I understand you want it more consistent, but like there's a lot of variability in what happens. And so, you know, we spend an exorbitant amount of time working on the mechanics when that same player might hit a couple foul balls, make good swings, but they hit it on the toe or the heel and it goes in the rough or in a weird spot. But then on the back nine, they haven't, you know, they haven't eaten or drank anything all day and they're wondering why they're playing bad, you know, Mm, or they, they, they've, they've made those same swings. Maybe they had a weird couple shots and they've had crappy self-talk the whole time, you know, sure. and they're telling, they're telling themselves how crappy, you know, how bad they are instead of how good they are, you know? So there's just so much variability into what goes into a round. And so we take that approach. We try and really kind of start from ground zero there and say, Hey, if, if you look at the mechanics of the swing as just one part, where else can you find improvement and gains and margin on the players that you're competing against? And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's really what it's based on. And so, you, you know, the, the, the list is long on those areas of opportunity to maybe um, pursue, uh, you know, focus on that type of thing. And I think actually the art becomes, as a good player, is being open to all the stuff that's out there, but then being really true to yourself on stuff that works, right? So, yeah. you know, don't get, you know, you kind of bring it in, chew on it, and spit it out if it doesn't work. If it works, like it's part of the part of the meal you know yeah for sure um, that's that's what I see the best players doing what kinds of things I know last year you brought in uh coach Bordas is that correct yeah Um, yeah he he joined you last year I know he probably brought a unique piece to training and development um with his military background can you talk about that at all yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited for Matt. He's kind of just starting his coaching career, and here he was injected into this team that we were on this bit of a rocket ship last spring, which was really fun, and we were all kind of just holding on and seeing where it could go. Um, but he brought a ton to the table for us. You know, he, it was his first civilian job. 
um, out of the Marine Corps. He was a Special Forces team commander. Um, he had a great college career at Texas and at Arkansas prior to joining the, the military. Um, so just automatically, he he demanded a certain level of respect from our guys, which is which is understandable, right? And sure. uh, is the the way he was disciplined with his own life and his training and his and his you know that balance. But he he did. He brought a lot of you know just a lot of stuff that held guys accountable. Uh, fitness for him is a huge deal, um, and so we injected some of his thoughts there in terms of how we prep our guys. Um, and you know, I, I think that. The other part that that I appreciated about Matt is that you know there, and and he he was in an environment where he had to have these conversations, um, or it was you know it was a life and death situation. Um, right. He was really good at he was really good at not being shy about having tough tough conversations, and I think that's the thing that maybe underlines his time with us um, is that he kind of got me focused on the importance of that. Um, because over time as a coach, you know, I think it's easy to kind of see a bunch of stuff come and go and it's, it's, but it's difficult to really, you know, put your stake in the sand on some things once in a while when you know, it's an, you know, it, you know, it's an important thing. Right. And I think yeah. part of that, part of that's tied to the student athlete, you know, of today, I think it's, it's rare that you find a student athlete that really wants to have those direct, you know, man up conversations or wants to hear what they need to work on. You know, I think, I don't know if that's a, kind of hit, you know, a, a social media thing or it's, uh, but, but student athletes today, I think it's, it's harder than ever to have like a direct kind of conversation that's maybe a little uncomfortable. And as a coach, that was something that was, was underlined for me last season is that I need to continue to think about that and not be, not shy away from those scenarios. Uh, you know, it's all coming from a good place, but not shy away from those difficult, difficult situations and conversations. Yeah. So, I mean, can you give us some examples of some of those topics that are just tough conversations to have either, you know, at your level from a college perspective or, you know, just tough conversations for junior golf parents, tough conversations for junior players, anything that you can add there? Well, a couple that come to mind, I think one is like actually managing the relationship with mom and dad for our people. (laughs) Like, like, I think that, that, you know, parents really mean well, they want, they want the best for their kids. They're oftentimes financially supporting their kids in a major way still while they're in college, because it's rare that a a kid's on a full scholarship these days. Um, But, uh, you know, I think that, that, that uh, freedom or that dynamic between parent and student athlete is, is one that plays a major role in performance. And so, you know, it, for us, a lot of it is like, hey, you sit down in the office and say, hey, you, you, we're not going to talk to mom and dad about your playing time. Or, you know, I don't want – you need to help us manage the situation at home uh, if you don't make the lineup or you, your parents think that we're doing something that's maybe unorthodox or different than they used as an approach with you. Like, you need to be our defender, not necessarily jump on their bandwagon about – you know, hey, coach doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, or something sure. like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that that dynamic uh, between student athlete and parent is really an important one. And 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 we're I'm seeing over time that, um, you know, parents really want to take an active role, even when their kids 18 and off in college, you know, and, and that never used to be the case. You know, like when I was in school moms and dads would just say, Hey, Johnny, good job. You know, call me hopefully once a month, you know, <laughs> right. and nowadays, you know, Nowadays, you have parents like literally moving to their college towns of where their kids are going. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I didn't want that when I was 18. I didn't want my parents <laughs> right. to follow me to college, right? Like, but that's happening, you know? And, yeah. uh, 
and you get you get parents that you know want to get in there on swing instruction or want to get in there on different things and it's a balancing act because hey they might know a lot but there is a certain amount of time where you want to try and turn your turn your 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 kid over your child over to someone that that you know is at that 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 level that next level you know give them the freedom and the space to be their own person yeah so that's 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 one topic that gets a little touchy sometimes having those difficult conversations and you win some, you lose some there. Sometimes the influence of mom and dad are even greater than you can, than you can imagine as a coach. Right. Um, sure. The other, the other part of that is digging into areas of improvement for student athletes. I think that's a balance as a coach is like trying to make sure that, you know, it's, it's definitely, you're trying to find all the positives, you know, and keep that in the forefront. But there is, there is some studying that needs to go on where, Oftentimes we as college coaches are, um, you know, the first people in that golfer's world that has ever actually had some, um, some, you know, critical things to say, you know, like, Hey dude, like your strokes gain putting is clearly the worst part of your game. Like, how do we improve this? And, and sometimes it just hits them in the face, you know? So instead of, instead of a coach, you know, having something positive to say, Oh, there's actually something to work on. And, uh, you know, you have to build trust, <clears throat> you have to build trust with the player to be able to have that conversation. And, uh, so the, the, I think that that's the other part of it, you know, just taking on direct areas of improvement. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think too, that, you know, whether you're the coach or whether you're the parent, I mean, I think all around, you know, even from the parents perspective specifically, I mean, I would venture to say that a lot of the parents majority, I mean, they want the best for the kid. Right. And so everything that they're trying to do, they think that they're doing, you know, the right thing, but you know, sometimes you've got to let them jump in the deep end and figure out how to swim. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that's kind of what you're alluding to too, as a, as a coach, but, you know, kind of putting that in front of them that, you know, here are the challenges that you've got to conquer. Um, and here's how we well, can help it, you do yeah. that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that I'm seeing that I have my own daughters that I'm trying to bring, you know, they're, they're playing sports and they're in youth, the youth stuff. And it's really hard as a parent to like, let your kid fail. Right. Like it's super hard. Like, and, and, and actually what's crazy is that that's where they learn the most. Yeah. So when they have that really bad tournament or they do, they miss a tea time because you didn't wake them up and they should, they should have set their own alarm. You know, those are huge lessons that you don't get back. Right. Sure. And so that's, that's the thing that, you know, going back to that whole adage of being, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, I think parents need to, you know, try and do that too. And I keep trying to remind myself too, to, to be <laughs> uncomfortable sometimes. Cause I want to call, you know, I want to call my daughter soccer coach and give him a piece of my mind, but I don't, you know, <laughs> right. so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's sometimes a tricky balance, but you're right. I think it's all coming from a place of just wanting the best for your kid. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough when you have to override some of those emotions. Yeah. Are your girls taken to golf at all? I'm trying. I'm trying not to be that guy, though. You know, I mean, that yeah. dad, I, I kind of they definitely have every opportunity that they, they want to play. And I do think that raising daughters has been interesting because I've coached boys, you know, and then it's like I, I realize how much different that dynamic is for, for my daughters. At least golf is a social thing. It's not like they haven't gotten the, the true bug of, hey, it's just a really fun game to play. Yeah, it's more about, hey, can I can I call? two of my friends and go have a good hit and some fun. And then, 
um, gets frozen frozen yogurt on the back end, you know, yeah, like, exactly. and drive the golf cart. Like I'm still in that mode with my daughters, so yeah. um, I just want it to be fun for them. And and I feel like if it is, and it's a fun, and it's in front of them that if they really want to do it, then they'll decide to do it. Yeah, you know, at a deeper level. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great approach. I, uh, I've got great parents. I've got a great dad. One of the challenges when I was young, um, and I actually told my dad one day I walked off the golf course and I said, I'm never playing golf with you again. And my dad, <laughs> yeah. uh, he played at Ole Miss really good golfer still. I mean, he's a plus one to this day. Um, so nice player plays in a lot of senior amateur events now, but he was like devastated. Right. Cause that was never his intention. It was to like drive me away from the game. Um, you know, he thought he was helping. So I've had some conversations with him after the fact, you know, later in life. And, um, it's like, dad, how did you, you know, how did you handle that afterwards? And, you know, it was, he, he was itching really bad to, to get me back out on the golf course, but at the same time, didn't want to push me back out on the golf course. So he just came to me one day and proposed that, you know, how about we just go out and play golf and I won't say a word to you while we're out there about your golf. Let's just go have fun together. Um, and I think, you know, that's just something that is a challenge for parents, right? That, and I'm sure that you go through that a little bit, especially, as much as your life has revolved around golf and you'd love for your, you know, girls to take to it and share something that you are so passionate about, but you want them to do it kind of on their own, on their own schedule. And if they love it, great. Um, it's a bonus. And if they don't, you want them to do something that they're, they're happy doing. Yeah. Well, and I think too, for me, I just, it's been such a major part of my life that I see, the stuff that I really cling to and, and why I love it, I want them to love it for the same reasons. And so if I, if I inject, you know, or, or lead them, I try and lead them to that. But if I try to impose that on them, it's not going to be the same. Right. So yeah. that's the thing that I, I want them to enjoy. And um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could, if I wanted have all my, you know, have my girls and like regimented golf lessons and hardcore tournaments and stuff like that. Right. I, mean, I, I just haven't chosen to do that. Cause I just, to me, you know, it's, it's gotta be more about the love of the game and, uh, and, and, and hopefully they'll develop that first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to shift a little bit. Can you talk to us about what you guys, what you are paying attention to while you're out watching players that you're thinking about recruiting? You've identified somebody from a academic standpoint, cause I know that that's your first box to check. Um, but then what are you paying attention to just out on the golf course when you're watching somebody? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think it goes without saying, obviously, physical, physical stuff is a big deal, right? I mean, I think that's something if I'm out recruiting a player and I'm, I'm trying to forecast whether they're going to be an All-American in two or three years from now, not today, I'm trying to look at their speed. I'm trying to look at their touch around the greens, how they, how they think about strategy. Are they even thinking about strategy at all? You know, I look at uh, how they interact with their playing competitors and their parents. Um, I don't mind seeing a bad round if I'm recruiting a player um, because that shows that that's kind of uh, an opportunity for a coach that's watching closely to see how they react in tough situations. Um, You know, I think that the dynamic with, you know, college golf is a team sport, right? And I get that you're not going to have guys that are chatting the whole way around, but I also think that if you watch a player enough, you can definitely get a sense of how their peers look at them. And, and what that level of respect is and how that all that whole dynamic works. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to me, it's kind of like I want to see him in different conditions, too. Frankly, I think that's one of the merits of playing a, a little bit of a national schedule. I wouldn't recommend flying all around the country, 
you know, a million, a million weekends a year, you know, but sure. it's just like, you know, seeing them play on different grass and in different wind conditions and at different temperatures, like those are interesting things to me. Um, you know, nowadays too, I mean, there's definitely kids that play better match play than they do stroke play, you know, and with our NC2A championship being match play, there's, there's something intriguing about that. I think, I think there's, uh, you know, and then you carry that across the pond in different directions. Um, right. And international players bring different levels and different things to the table too. So it, it's, it's, to me, that's the fun part because, you know, I actually, the hardest part in recruiting probably is to take a, is to take a little bit of a flyer and have an inclination that a kid could be great when no one else does. You yeah. know, those are the best recruits for me is like, I'm talking to, some of my peers in the Pac-12, and I'm like, hey, what about this kid? And none of them have heard of him. That's the one I really love because, right. you know, uh, you know that, that, then you feel like you've kind of discovered something, but you also can uh, – that, that guy might be your team manager in a couple years too, you know. So, sure, sure. Um, you know, you just don't know. But uh, recruiting's fun, and it's, it's all about just perception and, and trying to find, as we said earlier, the, the kid that fits well. Yeah. Um. I want to ask you about, I'm not sure how much you want to weigh in on this, but obviously there was some legislation passed out in California um, recently, just in terms of college athletes being able to sign endorsement deals um, stuff like that. Do you have anything to weigh in on that? Yeah, I got to touch that a little carefully um, just because, you know, working for Stanford, they're taking, you know, a forefront position uh, in some respects being a major institution in California. I do think the only thing I would say is that I think it's interesting that I I think I would just encourage people that are curious about it to really study the issue because, you know, this image and likeness stuff is definitely a different conversation than pay for play. Right. And I think in the world, you know, people kind of perceive everything as like in one bucket. Right. So um, it'll be fascinating to see how all the different organizations shake out. I think the NC2A has definitely their challenge to keep their arms kind of around this monster movement, you know? So, um, you know, fascinating stuff. And it could, it it frankly could kind of play out a bunch of different ways. So it's probably hard to make real specific comments. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Um, want to be conscious of your time. So just, if you could, can you give some advice to, to players and parents out there, specifically ones that are, looking to take that next step and, and find the right college fit uh, to further their game and take it, you know, as far as they can. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just shooting from the cuff. There's so many things that, that, you know, obviously understanding the environment, I think fun has to be the underlining principle. Like it has to be enjoyable and it has to be a situation where the player, even if he's not the CEO yet, he's on that track of their own game. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is that they, they should also be the, be at the forefront of the recruiting process. Um, and, and parents should be able to push and, and leverage and kind of convince, you know, on occasion. But I think that the, the student athlete really needs to be the focus. And uh, I think, I think the other part that I would say too, is, is that next level kind of hanging quotes is it can mean a bunch of different things. And so if a kid loves to play golf, wants to do it in college, there's a, there's a ton of opportunity at all divisions to do that. I think, I think sometimes it, it, it pains me to hear that a kid maybe decides not to play college golf because he can't find that power five school, you know, yeah. he wanted to play at. Um, there's so many different divisions and great coaches at all those divisions and great programs and good experiences to have that, um, you know, if you want to play college golf, you can. And, uh, 
And I would just say, you know, roll your sleeves up and focus on the day-to-day like we talked about. And I think there'll be some success there at the end of the pipeline. Awesome stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Um, That's all I've got for you. I mean, I could talk to you for at least another hour about a bunch of different things, but (laughs) um, you're a busy guy and I know that you've carved out an hour of your time for us. So thanks a lot. Um, No problem. Yeah. Good luck the rest of the season uh, on your quest to defend the title and um, hope we can talk soon. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate all you're doing. And this is important stuff, just uh, spreading the good word. So thanks for your help and, and for the call and great to be with you today. All right. Thanks coach. Okay. All the best. All right. Thank you all for tuning in to episode eight of junior golf keys. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with coach Ray. I certainly had a lot of fun talking to him, and I know that he brought some good value to you guys. So as I always ask, um, if you guys have taken any value away from this show or previous shows, please share it. Please leave a review. Um, Also, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our other guests that we've got coming up. Um, Really excited to continue to bring some value to you guys. I'd love your feedback on what I'm doing well, what I might need to work on, or maybe some people that you want to hear from or some topics that you want me to explore. So um, again, really appreciate your guys' time. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.